MSBC here, and thank you for tuning into our show. The last iteration of MSBC Replay took you back through all that MSBC 2020 had to offer, but for round two, we're going to go back just a little bit further. This upcoming conference is the 10th anniversary of our founding, and because of that, we want to recap and reminisce on some of the most amazing speakers from the past nine years. So, each week, we'll bring you an in-depth interview from a speaker at each conference, starting at MSBC1 and working all the way up to today, learning about how the industry has grown and how they have personally evolved since we last heard from them. With that, I'll kick it over to Aaron, and I hope that you enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? It's Aaron from the Michigan Sport Business Conference, and you're listening to the MSBC Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Justin Toman, the head of sports marketing at Pepsi. Justin, thanks for hopping on the pod today. Happy to be here and uh, excited uh, to talk. Of course, of course. So you spoke at MSBC back in 2019, which on the calendar, that's two years ago. But as people living here for the last two years, we know it's been quite hectic. That's pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, pre-Zoom. So really, it's flipped everything that we know on its head a little bit. So I just want to get your opinion on how the sport industry has grown and changed the most since that point in 2019. Oh, such a good question. Um, I just, it's, I think the biggest thing that the pandemic did, and it changed so much, um, but I think a lot of the things that we're seeing now, a lot of the outcomes, I think the pandemic didn't start or, you know, they're not, um, there weren't new problems or new changes. I think the, the pandemic really just accelerated a lot of things that were already starting to happen, whether you think about, you know, digital ticketing. I mean, that was kind of like, it was out there, some teams were, some right. teams weren't, but all of a sudden, paper tickets are dinosaurs now. Nobody does them, right? So I think um, things like that, the frictionless, the paperless, the, the continued fragmentation of uh, viewership and, and you know, distribution and, and the rise of things like Amazon as, as a distribution channel um, and the rapid, rapid increase of e-com, those things are all happening. I think the pandemic essentially accelerated things about three to five years. So I think that was the biggest change. When people think about working in the sport industry, a lot of people think about a more traditional route, if you will, working in the front office for a major team, being an agent, you know, how uh, have you really navigated your career as someone who works in a quote unquote, non-traditional field working at Pepsi rather than a team, you know, how does that differ and have you really navigated your career? Yeah, I, I think, um, and I didn't necessarily think about this when I was graduating. So I do now, and I always think there's like, it's almost like a, kind of three or four different key areas of the sports industry. You have what, to what your point was, people typically think about a property, a team or a league as being, oh, I want to go work in sports. I'll go work for a team or the NBA is a league. But so there's definitely the property opportunities. There's also the agency opportunities, you know, whether it's a player agent or, you know, sports consulting, there's a big kind of arena of kind of sports agency and consulting, uh, you know, avenues. There's the media side. I look at sports media as obviously it's part of the larger media ecosystem, but sports media unto itself is like kind of that, that third vertical. And then my, my world on the buy side or on the brand side is, is the, the fourth world, right? So it's like kind of property, agency, media, and brand are, are kind of how the four kind of big ones I think about the industry within. Um, and listen, I always loved marketing, you know, coming out of Michigan, um, I, I knew I wanted to work in sports and I, like many people at the time, I was like, oh, I'll go work either for a team or for Nike. Like you kind of just think that was like my, the extent of my knowledge of the sports landscape. Um, but as I quickly got into it, I did see the brand side and I love marketing in general. I love the idea of working for a big brand such as Pepsi or Mountain Dew, you know, fun consumer facing brands. And so when the opportunity to 
um, be a marketer, not necessarily a sports marketer. Pepsi came up. It was too good to pass up. Um, and so I went out of business school to Pepsi, really not having anything to do with sports, but I really was able to do core brand marketing and learn to be a brand marketer first. And then I was able to transition that onto the sports side of things, and to my role today running all of Pepsi Sports. Um, I think I, I'm probably a better sports marketer on the brand side now because I started as a brand marketer, right? So you have to understand how brands operate and think and what their objectives are. And then now my job is to really apply those things through the lens of sports and how can we how can we achieve a brand's objective uh, through the power of sports? And that's really the kind of the intersection of my job. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we had mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, we were talking about the pandemic and how it changed the sport landscape in general, you know, for you specifically in your team at Pepsi, what really transformed the most, you know, how did you guys have to pivot? What was the biggest change for you? Oh gosh. I mean, when, when it first started, when everything was grinding to a halt, it was really jumping on the phone with all of our partners, literally every, we have over hundred partners. When you think about all the teams, leagues and, and athletes and, and universities that we have, um, and really jumping on the phone with every single one of them multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day, just to assess the situation. So I think one of the silver linings of it was that we just re-engage with every single partner. Because you could go through you know, weeks or months or even a year, candidly, sometimes without really connecting with a partner. Everything is humming along. There's no reason to really connect. So the silver lining was that we were able to reach out and reconnect with every single one of our partners. You know, they weren't all easy conversations. I think we, we had to start with a little bit of empathy, knowing that they were you know, they were laying people off. They were having furloughs as well. And this, this thing was, was crazy. If you remember back to you know, April, May, June of last year. Um, and so we just worked through it one by one with, with everybody. We essentially, you know, renegotiated every single deal, either short or long term to make sure that, um, you know, the, the balance, the equation was right, right? It wasn't, we weren't going to be paying all this money and receiving nothing in return because games were happening. We clearly couldn't do that. But at the same time, we weren't going to go to a property and say, well, you're not playing. So, you know, the whole deal's off the table. There, there is, there was a give and take. And so we were, you know, I say we were guided by common sense and not contracts in, in that way. Um, we just kind of threw the contract out the window and said, okay, what's the right thing to do for the long-term partnership? And let's not let um, this hopefully short-term hurdle get in the way of a really good long-term partnership. And I think we, we navigated it pretty well for the most part with everybody. Again, not always easy conversations, but um, all of our partners were, were just unbelievable. And I'd like to think that we, we handled ourselves, you know, the appropriate way too. And, and hopefully we're on the other side of it. And I think we have stronger, in most cases, if not all, stronger partnerships now with our, with our teams and leagues than we did before. Yeah, as you said, uh, you guys have no shortage of partnerships. Um, but one that uh, really is very quickly growing right now, especially with the new rulings on NIL, is uh, athlete endorsements. So I want to get a little peek behind the curtain, if you will, as to what makes an athlete, what makes someone the right choice for an endorsement. You know, you guys have partnerships with players like Aaron Judge, Dak Prescott, LeBron James. Uh, what really makes someone the right kind of person to endorse? Yeah, I think it's two things. Um, and it, you know, it's funny, I've, I've been reading and following this day by day, like everybody else is, and I'll, I'll be expecting my royalty check in the mail. I was a college athlete 20 years ago. Unfortunately, I don't think I'll, I'll be seeing any, any retroactive payments, nor, nor would I probably have gotten any as an athlete, student athlete. But um, I, I love it. I think it's great for um, these men and women who work so hard to be able to, um, you know, profit off their likeness and, and, and name image likeness, it should the market deem that they're worth it, right? I think it all comes down to um, brands. You know, I think 
whether it's a college athlete or whether it's a pro athlete or a pro team, at this point, it doesn't matter. Um, I think the same is, you know, why we go after Jack Prescott would be the same reason why we went after a college athlete to do a deal, which would be two things. Um, are they a good brand ambassador? Are they a good fit for the brand? Like, do they represent the brand well? Um, and do they help us meet one of our brand or business objectives? So whether, whether or not they're a college athlete or a pro athlete or a retired athlete almost doesn't matter. The two fundamental questions are always, are they, do they help us meet a brand or business objective? And do they, are, will, will they be a good brand ambassador? So those are the two filters we'll put things through. Um, you know, I know some of our brands are looking at, you know, we're helping some of our brands navigate this territory again, kind of evolve daily here. Um, I think those, there'll be a handful of athletes that, truly are national in scope and you'll have, you know, potentially national deals. Like, you know, imagine Trevor Lawrence last year, right? He was such a national name or, or Zion right. two years ago. Um, those guys would have been getting national deals even in college. And then I think you're going to have the majority of the deals being done. I think you're going to see are, you know, either super regional or even local in nature. And they will be because largely these student athletes have social followings. I think they might be a big name on campus or a big name, you know, in a geographic area, maybe not a national scale. But I think the social following and the social community that these some of these athletes have developed is truly staggering. Um, and I, it's almost not less a sports deal. It's more of an influencer deal that you're doing, right? It could be, you know, just right. a, a YouTube influencer or a college athlete. I think these, some of these men and women have just developed such tremendous followings. And so I'll be excited to see um, how they're able to capitalize on that. Yeah, it really is incredible just seeing how much uh, social media has kind of changed the game with that, you know, because it's not just it's not just the star players anymore that you know a lot about. There's guys who may not get as much play time as other guys, but they have a huge following socially. So they end up being a better sponsor. You know, they have more influence and it really is just crazy kind of growing up in this generation where we've always had social media and seeing how now. Uh, it's really finding its way into business and sponsorships and really building a personal brand. Yeah, it's funny. I think, again, you'll see, you know, some of the top football and men's basketball folks probably do, again, have, have big deals. I think um, a, a lot of the non-revenue sports, and I think, candidly, women's non-revenue sports, whether it's swimming or gymnastics, uh, I think those are where you're going to see some really interesting deals done because I think these these people, these guys, I want to say kids, but these these athletes, these men and women, have developed these social followings and a, and a brand, you know, looking at the following and, and assuming there's a good objective fit between the brand and a, an objective or a business objective with the, the person and their following. I think you could see some pretty, pretty interesting deals being done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those end up being on the, on the kind of quote unquote non-revenue sports side, whether it's field hockey, swimming, track and field, gymnastics, things like that. Even going a step further at Pepsi, you know, you guys have a lot of big name products. How do you decide which product specifically would go well with certain athletes? Like I know right now uh, you see the Mountain Dew, LeBron James commercials all over the place. What kind of drives those decisions to link certain players or organizations with certain products? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. It's um, a little bit twofold. One, it, like I said, it does, you know, it has to be a good fit for the brand. And we'll do we think right. this has some of the brand attributes that we want to, you know, link up with, right? Um, but we also kind of have this approach where we say, hey, you know, when you think about Gatorade, Pepsi, and Mountain Dew, those are like really the three core brands that we do, I would say, 85, 90% of our sports marketing. Yeah, you know, sometimes we'll have Lipton or Aquafina, but really Gatorade, sure. Pepsi, and Mountain Dew are the, the lion's share of what we do in sports. Um, and we basically say, you know, Gatorade, and this is kind of obvious when you say it, but Gatorade is going to be all about on-field performance, you know, recovery, hydration, point of sweat, like anything field or on the court related, 
obviously Gatorade. Everything right. else, so essentially Mountain Dew and Pepsi, um, is for the fan. It's all about the fan experience. But those, you know, we don't expect people to drink a soda then go, you know, run a mile. Obviously, that is for the fan experience. So we, we kind of start by carving out those lanes of like performance versus fan for Gatorade and 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 Dew and Pepsi respectively. And then once you're in in that fan area with Mountain Dew and Pepsi. Um, we start carving things up and giving each brand its own lanes to swim in. So we kind of, you know, say, hey, football, because of the scale uh, and, and the, you know, the massive reach that the NFL, for example, has, that's going to be Pepsi's lane to swim in. Basketball, still a mass mainstream sport, that, that's going to be Mountain Dew's territories so that we're really not fighting against each other, right? I think that's one of the most important thing when you're, when you have a, a portfolio brand marketing approach is you have to um, you know, balance the risk and, and give each brand its own lanes to swim so that you're not fighting with each other. You're, you're fighting against your competitors. Um, so we do try to carve out the individual sports for our brand. And typically, it's Pepsi is like kind of um, football, uh, soccer, hockey, baseball, and then Mountain Dew tends to be basketball, action sports, you know, snow, skate, um, uh, NASCAR, motorsports, things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I would be crazy not to bring up to the biggest events that you guys at Pepsi do sponsor are the NBA all-star game and the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, what is that like from a logistics standpoint, planning, deciding who you want to headline the event from a talent perspective, you know, what goes into that? Cause that's gotta be such a big decision as it really seems like it grows every single year. Yeah, it, it, it does. It does seem to, um, it, I mean, listen, it's, I always say like Super Bowl as, as the example, it's like the best and worst day of my, my year every year. Um, it, it's great. I mean, listen, it's awesome. I, we're so fortunate at Pepsi to have these great, fun brands like Pepsi and Mountain Dew, and we're able to, you know, kind of intersect at the biggest moments of culture, in this case, the Super Bowl or the halftime show or the NBA All-Star. It's just an unbelievably fun um, opportunity for a marketer to work within the intersection of a really big brand and a really big moment in culture. So starting with that, it's just an awesome place to be. And I'm fortunate to, to work with some of these uh, properties and partners. Um, it's, it's, you know, for both of those things, it really takes 11 months of work, you know, certainly 11 months uh, process for the halftime show, maybe, you know, closer to nine or 10 month process for the, for the all-star game. Um, but for the, for example, with the Super Bowl halftime show, we started planning that, you know, with the NFL and Rock Nation. Those are so Pepsi, Rock Nation, and the NFL are really the kind of the three parties involved in putting it on. We started talking to those guys probably in late March. I mean, the Super Bowl was mid-February. You know, fast forward, you know, five or six weeks, and all of a sudden we're starting to talk about the next one. So we're well down the path of planning. It really is, you know, I say 11 months, but it's essentially a 12-month um, planning process for what ends up being a 12-minute show. It's the halftime is 12 minutes. So it's like 12 months of planning results in hopefully the biggest 12 minutes of, of entertainment, you know, of, of pop culture every year. Um, but it's, it's a, such a collaborative process. Um, you know, with the NFL and with Rock Nation and the artists, whenever we ended up choosing that the artist uh, usually happens over the summertime. Um, it's, uh, it's great. We, we try to think about how can we put on one, work with the artist and Rock Nation and NFL to put on the best show possible, largely for TV viewers at home. When you think about 100 million people watching at home versus maybe 70,000 in the stadium, it's obviously a made for TV event. Um, so you start brainstorming how, what, what worked in the past years, what do we want to change and how can we improve it going forward to make it the best show possible. And then from our standpoint, as a brand, we, we kind of take the approach of, okay, you know, the show is going to be the show. The artist is going to put on a great show. How we, how can we as a brand bring people closer to that show, right? How can we give them a peek under the tent or give them a new experience or a new way to experience the show than ever before? So that's really the barometer that we, we 
try to look, you know use every year is how can we get people one step closer to the show or give them a you know a piece of the show or involve them in some way largely now through technology or, or media things like that um, but that's really the the approach that we take every year and hopefully every year we're able to evolve that and come up with new and fun ways to do that you guys really do do a great job with that because I, I mean as like i said a consumer from my side of things it really does feel like you know every year it's a bigger spectacle and it's like oh man how's it going to change it and it's is something that people look forward to you know it, it almost took on like a life of itself which is super cool to see yeah it's, it's crazy it's um the, the, the halftime show essentially is the super bowl of concerts because it's literally the biggest concert um, of the year in terms of viewership right smack dab in the middle of the biggest sporting event of the year so it's just it, it's like that bullseye of massive moments in pop culture um and it's a big responsibility to fulfill on that every year but, but fortunately we have a great team we have a great relationship with rock and the nfl and i think we've i think we've largely done that every year and, and the bar gets higher every year and it's, it's a bigger challenge every year yeah do you have a favorite uh like behind the scenes kind of story from any recent super bowl halftime shows uh i mean there's been a ton i would say um in my for my money i mean the weekend did a phenomenal job this past year oh yeah it was awesome um, it, for my money, it's hard to top uh, Shakira and JLo back in Miami pre just pre-pandemic. Um, but I was I think one of the one of the most astounding things to me was when we, we do get the opportunity to spend some time with the artists. Um, and I was so impressed with how how unbelievably nice and welcoming and accommodating JLo and Shakira were. Like we even doing some backstage stuff with some some consumer winners and some of our executives and doing some meet and greet stuff. And they just they were so great. I was so, you know. You kind of assume maybe sometimes these people, you know, are so busy, they, they don't want to give you the time of day, but um, they were just tremendously, I was so impressed. They were just such cool people. That's so awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we are uh, reaching towards the end of our time today, but uh, before we go, I did want to ask you one last question. Um, a lot of our audiences, kids, you know, my were a bunch of college age students looking to get a job in the sport industry. So if you could just give a piece of advice, you know, something you did in school, something you wish you did more of, uh, just anything that you think would help getting into the sport industry. Yeah, uh, I love this question because I I would have done so many things differently if you know had, had I been in your shoes now, knowing now what I know, but. Um, I think a few things. One is, is take, um, you're obviously going to be take, if you're interested in sports, you're going to be taking those marketing and those sports classes, but also don't forget about everything else, finance, economics, uh, law, you know, all these things, media, like any, anytime you can kind of branch out and take different classes, um, please do that. Real estate, all these things, because now sports entertainment is so multifaceted. I mean, I spent half of every day reading contracts, right? But I didn't take a, a, a sports law course and I should have. Um, I, I, spend a lot of my time like thinking about real estate deals because a lot of these new developments, these stadiums and these teams are doing like the star in Dallas or what's being built out in SoFi Stadium and around SoFi Stadium in LA, these massive like kind of commercial retail entertainment districts. And you kind of have to know a little bit about real estate development to do partnerships with them. So all these things that maybe seem tangential to sports are really part of sports. So understand as much about the non-sports stuff as you can. Um, and, I, and the other thing I say is, you know, um, you really have to love the business of sports. You can't, it's not enough just to be a fan or, oh, I love sports or I love going to games because I, especially on the team side, if you go work for a team, I mean, I kind of the saying is like sweets and seats get old really fast when you're working nights and weekends. So, you know, that unless you really love the business, it does tend to be a grind. So uh, make sure you love the business of sports and make sure um, it's not just because you're a fan because that wears out pretty quickly. Um, but if you love the business, if you, you know, take a rooting interest in it, um, I think you can find ways to be successful and differentiate yourself.
Awesome. Yeah, that really was a great answer. Uh, and I just really want to say one more time, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope that you enjoyed. If you want to buy tickets or learn anything else about the conference, please visit www.umsbc.com. That is www.umsbc.com. Or you can follow at UMSBC on any social. We hope to see you there on November 5th. And as always, go blue.